This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds. There were services where she's just playing organ for hours and hours and hours. So this is short compared to those services where she's just like levitating, you know. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. common instrument of choice. Jazz harpist Brandy Younger brings a traditional soulfulness to her music that transcends instrumentation. She has worked with musicians ranging from Pharaoh Sanders to Charlie Hayden, Lauren Hill to John Legend, Common to Drake, Maxwell, and The Roots. The Grammy-nominated musician's newest release, Brand New Life, was released this year. We spoke to her at a live taping at 2023's Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee. The first song Younger chose as being formative for her was Affinity by Alice Coltrane. track really because usually when people ask what things were influential what songs I always defer to my jammy jams Blue Nile by Alice Coltrane Tariya and Ramakrishna but I wanted to choose something that I sort of keep to myself but love and what I like really is the energy 
you can hear that's Roy Haynes just kind of driving the entire tune with the cymbal. And then it just sort of allows Alice to just do her thing over it. And people aren't used to, <clears throat> depending on what era you're listening up to her music, you know, the, she wasn't playing, she wasn't recording her organ stuff in the late 60s. So a lot of people know that stuff and they don't know this side of her. Um, but I actually used to use it to, to jog, walk, run, I don't run, my knees hurt. But, um, but yeah, just the energy behind it, it like starts here, you know? Usually you have a song and it, it does this. And it just starts here and just goes from there. It's the energy. Right, right. It's, um, you know, unfortunately, we only get to play a little bit of the different pieces, but it... It's long. Yeah, it's, so it's from a live album. It, it is a substantial piece, and it maintains that energy pretty much for the whole piece. And in fact, it's, um, you know, it's not unlike, and, you know, I, I'm conscious of not wanting to, you know, put her back in the shadow of her famous husband after she's finally emerged from it after so many years. But it was very much like, you know, he was famous for these long searching solos. And it's very much in that tradition, which is like, it's great to have that because I wasn't really familiar with this record. It's like not necessarily one of the like, oh, you know, this is the record you got to check out. I think I think this. Well, I know that this record has an energy behind it that maybe some others don't because it is a live record. It's a live record, so there's even a song on the record, so this is from Transfiguration. There's a song on it called Prema, and Prema is not a high energy song, but it is, it will, it grabs you at the first note, and you're, you're held until the very end, you know, because there's still this energy that you won't get if it was recorded in the studio. So I think that plays a big part. And then in Affinity, there's a man that yells, yeah, in the middle of the recording, and just like adds to it. Yeah. Where did this uh, Where did this come into your uh, to your life? Where when would you have heard this? So this record, I probably didn't hear until so I I was introduced really to Alice Coltrane's music in like 11, 12th grade ish, high school. This album didn't really come to my consciousness until after um, she passed away in 07 when I began to work with um, with Robbie Coltrane and Co. Um, so I was much older, maybe graduate school by then, that I started to really um, explore some of those later, later recordings. Right, right. And at that point, I mean, had you already sort of, I mean, you, you were familiar with her and uh, you maybe had formed an impression of her or uh, an idea of what her contribution to the instrument was. And did this change that? Or, I mean, I, I guess it had to. I think, so there were, there's this organ and then there was her sacred music where she's playing organ. And I mean, it didn't change it because maybe I, I digested all of it at the same time. Um, there were services where she's just playing organ for hours and hours and hours. So this is short compared to those services where she's just like levitating, you know? I was also uh, going back over this, I, you know, in preparation for this, listening to it. I don't know when I've heard a keyboard sound as much like 
a horn. Um, I never thought and, about that. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's her touch or, wh- or what it was, but it, or just what, the, what she's playing and the way she's playing it. Um, and it kind of made me think, I mean, I, I mean, you know the harp way better than I do, clearly, <laughs> but I just wonder, it seems like it must be an instrument that, uh, I want to use the word intractable, it's like it probably... F- like it it fits into some things easily and maybe doesn't fit into some other things easily and I wonder how much you struggle with that you're talking your... about the harp specifically yes yeah oh so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the story of my life and a lot of it takes stepping back and thinking about how you can fit in you know a an arpeggio may not belong everywhere a glissando may not belong everywhere Actually, in performing this song live, it's so loud and there's so much going on that I really do have to step back and see, well, where can I contribute, you know, Um, because it's so loud, you know? I mean, it gets really loud, especially on stage. But in, you know, I don't, we don't want bass players and drummers to have to play like this just because there's a harp on the stage. So we got to fight a little bit. And that's okay. I'll be fighting tonight, <laughs> fighting for my life. Yeah. Right. You're you're playing with Makayam Craven. Yeah. Yeah. Who, as we were discussing before, you know, can really put the muscle on. Sometimes. Put the muscle on the drums. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, your most recent album, um, and you know, this was my hearing of it. And please, you know, push back on this if it's incorrect. Uh, it felt like there's more of a st- studio like work with it um which reminds me of some records that i really like where it's like we're not just going to pretend that this is you know four or five people in a room we're going to make this sound like something and i wonder uh, to what extent that was not necessarily we're going to make the harp like you know more of a part of this but how was that part of the thinking or were you just trying to make a different sort of record by using the studio more rather than just recording instruments? Well, the first thing that I did differently, you're talking about the, not the one that's coming out now, the from a couple years ago? Uh, something different. different, yes. So prior to that record, I had always, always used horns, horns, horns on almost everything except, you know, maybe one or two tracks. So I made a conscious effort to kind of push the harp forward this record so immediately you're not getting the horns you have horns on like one track or two um so you're not getting that so you're automatically hearing the harp more but then also just wanting to give each um give the songs a certain sound we did half of it at van gelder where we wanted it to sound have more of a classic sound and then we did half of it in um, our friend's studio in queens where you know everyone was isolated and we can do a little bit in post-production to give it more of that studio sound. Um, this is when I enter new record coming out on Friday, April 7th, but three singles have come out already and we recorded this all in Makai's house, the whole record. Um, he produced the record, so um, the songs may sound a little different, but there's this cohesion you know, and the harp is thrust forward. Right. Um, I'm wondering, uh, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll get to this when we talk about some of the other tracks. Um, For an instrument where there, I mean, you know, when you have a bass player or, you know, a tenor player, there are so many antecedents. And, you know, so it's, 
you know, there, there's a bewildering number of people where you can say, oh, there's a little bit of this or there's a little bit of that, you know, or you can, um, you know, maybe it's harder to stand out and say they don't sound like anyone else, but there's also, you can sort of blur it a little bit. And, you know, I think for an instrument like the harp, and I'm surely not telling you anything you don't know, there are just so few antecedents, especially in a, in a like jazz or improvised music, that um, you're sort of, you know, a little more isolated. It's like there are so, there are not that many precedents and there are not that many other people doing it. Is that a good thing or like a, make it easier or make it harder or? Both. Yeah, yeah because sometimes I'd want to do something and I'm like, is this possible? Or, or rather, is this acceptable? Especially when I was younger, like, can I do this? I don't really hear piano players doing this, but I'm not a piano player. But over time, just from playing and playing and recording and recording, I might hear that, you know, maybe I want this sound here and that's okay. But that took just years of me, I guess, just really getting more comfortable with the instrument where it doesn't belong. <laughs> have, have you, I mean, surely this has happened and you know, you don't have to, well, no, I wanna know. I mean, have you had literal experiences where someone said, you, this doesn't belong here or we don't, this, you know, this, this shouldn't be here? Yeah, I mean, they don't, they don't say it like, you know, like, you shouldn't be here. Right. But, I mean, in pop situations, you know how they do it? Mm -hmm. They just mute the harp. I recorded on John Legend's All of Me. Did you know that? Mute. I'm fine, though. I'm okay. So when it I said, all oh, you've collaborated with John Legend when I was introducing you, that was like, yeah, Fake. you collaborated with John Legend, not that you would know. You got muted. But, no, I'm on other things, yeah. but, but that particular song, it got muted. Mm. And, but that happens all the time, you know? It's just part of the process. So in pop, it happens like that. In like other styles, I don't think they just mute you. They might um, just say, we went in another direction. Not, you don't belong here, you know? But people would talk about like, you know, I've heard, I've heard certain people say that, you know, with Alice Coltrane, the energy would change when she would play with John. You know, it's people's, people's perspective, especially hearing something different. When you're used to hearing something one way and then all of a sudden it changes. But I guess the goal here is to make it normal, you know, make it not a thing. And then people, it's not weird, you know? Right, because normal is so exciting. Right. The second song Younger chose as essential to forming her sensibilities was Happy Town by Tank and the Bangas. Today is brought to move, you, move. Stop. you stop. by the number one uh -huh. and the flavor red. No, it's not the flavor red. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Today's flavor is green. 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 
Roll out, roll out, chill out, take your weave out Weave out, relax, take your lash off Bra off, you a goon, use a bright star Roll out, roll out, chill out, take your weave out Weave out, relax, take your lash off Bra off, you a goon, use a bright star Now I can see it like a little town The people laughing throw their cares away like green clouds My heart's so full, my eyes are soon This must be home now, home to me so, what, I think I emailed you guys yesterday, because first of all, I thought it would be a good idea to not just have music that is past, and to, um, because current music does influence me, you know, and, and they're one of my favorite bands, <laughs> literally, I don't get excited about much, so when I'm excited, I'm like, head over heels excited, um, so back in 2018, there's this venue in New York that just opened called The Shed. And the way that they celebrated the grand opening was by doing a series, a month-long series called The Soundtrack of America. And it was curated by Steve McQueen and Quincy Jones. And like everyone and their mama was on the program. And I played like three times in the month. I did one thing solo. I did a couple things with Moses Sumney and Kelsey Lou. So one of these days during like rehearsal sound check, I was just minding my business and this band was sound checking. And I was like, oh, they sound good. And then all of a sudden they broke into like the Emerald City sequence from The Wiz. And that was it, hooked. I was like, who are they? And why don't I know about them? Um, and everyone was like, you don't know about them? I'm like, no, I don't know about them. So, um, yeah, amazing. So this song, Happy Town, you know, just overall, just, I mean, I've seen the band live a million times. And you, of course, like I said about the Alice Coltrane thing, the live energy, studio energy, very different. Um, they put on a live show like no other. And you're getting this combination of culture. You're getting R&B, you're getting hip hop, you're getting bounce. You know, you're getting all of this yeah. with live musicians. And Tank is so versatile, you know, she's rapping one second with the high voice, she's singing. You know, it's, it's, it's totally captivating, but then also the content that they choose is relevant. Like when you bust out the Emerald City sequence, I live <laughs> for the whiz. Maybe that's a certain generation, um, but but yeah, and then you listen to what she's talking about, it's like, <laughs> it's all of us, it's all of us black girls, you know? <laughs> take your bra off, less girls, period. You know, <laughs> take your bra, take your lashes off, take your weave out. <laughs> it's a very real, real song delivered in a really fun, humorous, and, and soulful way. How, how does, um... Uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to find a way to ask, how does this show up in your music? It doesn't have to, I guess. Um, and maybe I have my own answer for that, but I'm curious about your answer. In my own music? Well, if you listen to my own music, it, mm -hmm. I'm what you call a fence straddler, right? So, I mean, what I call a fence straddler. I got like my background, which always comes out in whatever I'm playing, but then everything I'm playing has some kind of a soulful, either soulful, funky, hip hop, you know, all these elements. The drums are really, the drums and the bass are more important to me than the harp, you know, and, and just what you're getting. So I think that um, in that sense, 
it it shows. But what I like that they do that I don't do or can't do, but will learn to do, or aspiring is to the do. switch off in in one song over and over again. It's just like mind blowing. Um, I'm. I think I'm a good bit older than you. I think that's safe to say. Maybe I'm going to make the assumption. I think it's. I think I'm on pretty solid ground here. Uh, but I have a teenage daughter, um, and I'm struck. And she is big into music. It's something we have in common. Uh, she doesn't have a podcast though. Uh, that's probably good. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm struck a lot by how she and her friends i mean because like my own when i was her age a lot of a lot of it was about discovery and sort of wow you know what's this and what's that but um there was also a lot of there were a lot of rules like you know you if you like this you can't like that right and there was a lot of um you know fences and sort of and that does not seem to exist for her and her pals and i think that probably um there are a lot of reasons for that but i think that it's a good thing generally for um folks a lot younger than me and perhaps uh, of, of your generation and folks younger than you that that channel switching is getting much easier to do and sort of assimilate as just part of who you are, maybe? I think older folks, too. It's not too late, you know, because that's one of the things that, that messes a lot of conservatory-trained students up because you're taught, whether you're studying jazz or you're studying classical music, it's sort of like, this is sophisticated music. Don't mess with the other stuff. I remember, and I think I was in grad school, and I said to my teacher, I was so excited, oh my gosh, I saw that you recorded on the Britney Spears album. And she was like, I'd prefer you recognize my work with the New York Phil. And I was like, well, sometimes you gotta grab people where they are. And I saw you on the Britney Spears album, you know? And that was, and no, I wasn't necessarily dancing with Britney Spears or anything, but seeing her name there drew me in. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, this is my teacher. Well, and how many people heard that Britney Spears album? That's what I'm saying. But it seemed that she was not a happy camper um, about it. And it was like a downer for me because here I am. I led led a double life for so long. I would have my, my life, my traditional harp life. And then at night, I would, you know, I'm doing these like hip hop sessions down in the middle of the night, you know, and playing on all these tracks and just had this other world existing quietly. And it took years for me to bring that up to the, you know, to the forefront. And it's because I had the, the insecurities. So I, I'm really glad that your daughter's generation is like, you know, just rid yourself of the, the boxes. Yeah. Boxes, no cute. We talked to William Parker earlier. Um, and we said we were talking to you. He was like, oh, yeah, Brandy uh, Younger. She's a harpist, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, you're, you're on his radar. So, um, But um, one of the many things he talked about was he talked about, he was talking a lot about creativity. He talked about a great many things. But he talked about creativity, and he talked about conservatory training or, like, I guess jazz school. But he was talking about music school and how, people aren't necessarily taught to be themselves. They're taught to do it a certain, do things a certain way. Yeah. And if you're not doing it a certain way, you're doing it wrong. 
and um, you know, I, I live in Baltimore, and Peabody Conservatory is there, and uh, I know I've not attended Peabody Conservatory, and it is no doubt a fine institution, but I understand that there is still a lot of you know, this is how you do it. And if you're not doing it that way, that's not how it's done. I think that presents a challenge after school now, today, you know? Yeah, because the world is not doing things the way it was once done. Nope. So, yeah. Um, have you had, do you do some teaching? Yes. Yeah, I teach at um, NYU and at the new school. Do you run up against that in your, I mean, do you want to tell people, run, do what you want, and like someone comes to your class and says, no, don't tell them that, they have to stay in their box? I don't say run, do what you want. I say, <laughs> let's learn what's in the box, and then let's learn what's outside of the box. That way I can, you know. <laughs> okay, that's probably a better idea. Yes. Um, have you um, met played with, uh, collaborated with Tank and the Bangas? Yes. Uh, could you talk about it a little bit? Yes. So on my last record, Somewhere Different, there's one song with vocals, and that is a song that Tank and I wrote together. I didn't realize that. Um, called Pretend, so that's her singing on that and rapping. And then I recently played with them. I sat in with them at the Blue Note in New York, um, and we actually played Happy Town. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's all coming together for me. Coming together. Cool. So are you going to sit in uh, here at the festival? No, but I hope to get there the early show because later we'll be sound checking. So I hope to get there early show. I just can't, I cannot contain my excitement. I don't get excited about a lot of people. I'm boring. Like, it's like food excites me. Tank and the bangers excite me. Beyond Video is a volunteer-run video library in Baltimore. Basically, an old-school video rental store reimagined with a 21st-century nonprofit twist. Beyond offers nearly 30,000 titles from every region, era, and genre of cinema on DVD, Blu-ray, and VHS, a collection put together by crowdsourcing disc donations from movie lovers like you. With no rental fees or late fees, members get unlimited rentals from the collection for a small monthly donation. Find out more about joining or donating at beyondvideo.org, or when in Baltimore, visit Beyond at 2545 North Howard Street. And for a limited time, new members who mention Essential Tremors when signing up will get an extra month for free. Established in 1996, Royal Books is a seller of rare books and paper specializing in literature, cinema, music, and the arts. From Cassavetes to Ida Lupino, from New Wave to Warhol, you will find an ever-expanding selection of first editions, original film scripts, vintage photographs, posters, and 20th century Americana. Visit us online at royalbooks.com or visit our store on any weekday between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. The final piece of music Younger chose as being crucial to her was Dust by Dorothy Ashby. 
was a door to which I found no key. There was a veil through which I could not see. Some little talk a while of me and thee there was, and then no more of me and thee. Ah, make the most of what we yet may spend before we too into the dusk descend. Dusk into dust and under dust to lie. Okay, so. Now I remember why I picked it. I had a motive here. So this song was um, on the album The Rubiat of Dorothy Ashby, which is 1969 on Cadet. So she recorded this after Afro Harping, and Richard Evans produced it. And she's playing Koto on the record. She's singing, which she hadn't sung on a record before this. I think this was the first one. And First and foremost, the lyrics got me, right? She's basically like, um, so Omar Khayyam, those are the, she based, actually anything she's singing on this whole record I think was based from his text. But the song is, um, you know, it's basically like, make the most of what we yet may spend before we too into the dust descend, dust into dust and under dust to die, you know? so I was really just captivated by the content. Um, and then I heard a bootleg of her rehearsing and the family let me hear. And I was like, oh my gosh, she wasn't singing in the rehearsal. I want to assume it was Maxine Dixon, though I'm not sure. Um, and the way they were rehearsing it is actually different than the way that they recorded it. And then it grabbed me in a whole different way. And I recorded it on my record that's coming out on Friday. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Do you know that Brandy has a record coming out? I only on said Friday? it. I only said it twice at this point, but um, but it was actually the recording, the rehearsal recording, that inspired me to record it. And um, Michelle and Digiocello was kind enough to sing the lyrics. I, you know, these are like some deep lyrics. I didn't want like you know, can't just have anyone sing some content like that, you know. So, yeah, so that's why I chose that, because I was struggling trying to decide which composition to pick for this today. Could you talk a little bit about Dorothy Ashby? Because I think that still she is not... I mean, people know Alice Coltrane for a lot of reasons, you know, pretty much all of them good, but I think Dorothy Ashby is still somewhat... Undersung. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So... Like Alice Coltrane, she's from Detroit, um, a bit older than Alice Coltrane. Um, from Detroit, she left. So while she was in Detroit, she played all the clubs, did all the things. She even had a theater company in Detroit called the Ashby Players. She wrote the music. Her husband wrote the plays. But then she moved to L.A. to really work on the recording scene. So most people that don't know her but know her, they know her from Stevie Wonder's If It's Magic. Um, that's her playing harp. But she was record- she recorded with so many people. Bill Withers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, all those classic 70s recordings that you hear harp on are mostly her. But a lot of people don't know she had 11 albums as a leader. Um, her very first recording, actually, uh, Frank West helped her get that record uh, Deal. And the first few records were very straight ahead. But then when she started to, um, when Richard Evans uh, started at Cadet, 
he really wanted to make Cadet like as black as possible. I was reading, I was reading an article in Wax Poetics about that, and he loved her playing, so he produced those records um, in that Cadet period. In the cadet period, those records are the ones that hip-hop producers in the 90s started to sample because they were so beat-heavy. So even though she wasn't that popular at the time, um, once people like Pete Rock and Jay Dilla started to come up on the scene, they were using her, um, they were sampling her. And so there was this whole kind of rebirth of her stuff because since then, I mean, everyone has sampled her. Kanye West, um, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to talk about him. Kanye West, um, <laughs> Flying Lotus, you know, you hear DJ Premier, Jill Scott, Angie Stone. I mean, you hear her samples all over the place. Flying Lotus, who we've had on the show, who is Alice Coltrane's nephew. Grand nephew, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It all connects. It all connects. Right, right. Um, it's kind of amazing, and I mean, I, I don't know if this surely has come up on the show, but I say this, I don't know if it has. Um, I say this all the time as I've lived long enough at this point that pretty much everything that I have ever thought was uncool or that has ever been uncool has, I've, I've seen it become cool. Fashion. You know? Like fashion. Like fashion, or, but, you know, it's like... I don't know, Bread, you know, the cheesy 70s band. It's like, you know, a, a, a mastering engineer I know. It's like, what are you listening to? Really into Bread right now. It's like, cool. And it took me a second. It's like, are you kidding? You're not. Okay, cool. Um, but, and not to say Dorothy Ashby is or was ever uncool, but it's like she was not, you know, at some point she was not necessarily, those records were not like... Nobody was checking. They were dollar records probably at some point. When you think about it, it's like no one was checking for a harp in not classical music, in non-classical right. music. And then no one was really checking for a black woman playing the harp. And then no one was like, um, and then just harp, <laughs> harp, and then also being a woman in jazz. It's like, it's like a triple, triple downer. And then in the 70s, everyone kind of lost their minds for a little while and kind of didn't know what was like people didn't know what jazz was or like they had strange ideas about what was good and what wasn't. Yeah. So. And she had a really open mind. If you listen to the stuff, she was not just playing jazz. She was playing whatever was popular at the time. Movie came out, she's playing what's on the movie score. Pop song came out, playing what's on, you know, on the radio. Like, um, not Red Clay, A Little Sunflower. I mean, we think of that as the standard, but then it was just coming out and she recorded it then, you know? She was really on top of, like, if, if there was social media then, <laughs> she'd be the trending, you know? Well, but I guess maybe that's part of having a career, right? Because now, you know, then you recorded, you know, a little sunflower. Now you post on Instagram, you know, like, you know, hey fam, smash that like button or whatever. You know, you do all the, you do all the things you do to... Uh, smash the like button. Yeah, sorry. Hey guys. There's, we have a series of podcast jokes. Anyway. Well, you know, I guess even with all the challenges, it's slightly easier being uh, a harp player in jazz than it used to be, maybe? It's like, I always think about when I was younger, just not having any, um, like, examples or role models, mm -hmm. you know, especially before the internet, and I sound old, 
before the internet was what it was today, you just had who was in your face. You couldn't just Google. Right. Um, so it was very isolating. Not it was isolating culturally and isolating um, because your instrument. It's like right. you're black and you play the harp. It's like boom. It's like downer. You're just alone in the corner. So I would just play, you know, my lesson stuff, and my mom would be like, "Can you play this?" Barbra Streisand, he played the Stevie Wonder, you know, playing sort of what I wanted, but not seeing anyone else um, doing it and then going to college and you're studying the traditional stuff and you're not really able to feel confident to do more. But then I don't take for granted that, you know, it's the 2000s at this point and we, I could I could afford to do what I wanted, not worrying too much about potential consequences in a way that you couldn't do that in the 60s. So, you know, the way was paved. Hopefully it gets a little bit easier for each generation moving forward. Well, so do you have a, a little cadre of up-and-coming harp players who want to play jazz, who you, like, you know, are bringing along, and you, like, you have harp jams or something like that? I don't really have harp jams. Are there such things as harp jams? There are. We just had a harp jam at a harp conference last weekend. Thank you. Nice, nice. But I don't really have harp jams. But I do, I find for me, the student that already knows how to play, that has a degree, like at least an undergrad degree, where they have their technical training and they know their classic rep, it's a bit easier to dive off, you know, and to venture out. Um, because it's it's really hard. I mean, it's better to get them younger, of course, you know, and cover all bases. But it's hard when you're you're old like me, and you've been doing this, and you're trying to change your brain. You know, you're younger; it's much easier to conform. But um, but yeah. So I, I try to like. It's hard to change people's thinking. I mean, anyway, you know, you don't like change people's thinking. But I try. Long short answer. I try, but no harp jams. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.